We as a church have been working our way through 1 Corinthians. In fact, for the last few weeks, we've been camped out in chapter 7 for a while because it is loaded, it is packed. Now, if you remember, just a couple weeks back, uh, I spent some time talking about the encouragement that Paul gives that if you are single, stay single. It's an encouragement, not a command. But then he gives a command that if you're married, stay married. And either way, just stay as you are. You might remember that sermon because that's the one where I went at the idol of family and really ticked a lot of you off. And I joked about how I'm just clearing out parking for Easter. You remember that? Well, then Pastor Jared came along and told you to break up with your non-Christian boyfriend and talked about divorce because nobody in here has ever been divorced, right? Like, so he just ticked off. I'm the nice pastor, evidently. I didn't know. But uh, turns out we'll have plenty of parking next week. Plenty. So we'll be good. We'll be good. But if you've been paying attention lately, it's been a ton about sex and singleness and marriage and divorce. And they, in, in ancient Corinth, they were really messed up. They were a dumpster fire about all that stuff. So he's talking about that. But before we finish chapter 7, we need to draw out, right? Right about in the middle of the chapter, he starts to give a broader principle. He kind of zooms out for this principle that covers everything we've been talking about, but other things as well. And you'll see the principle right here. There it is. This world is an opportunity, not an identity, nor a destiny. And that's the principle we're going to be looking at today. We'll get to it here in verse 17. It says, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Now, of course, it says to him, we know that that's how they spoke back then. We know this is men and women together uh, that, that this addresses. And what it's saying is, look, in this world, God has given you an assignment. And it's not just your marital status. He, in a bit, as we'll look in the verses, he'll broaden it to include your socioeconomic status, your job, even your ethnicity. That's been assigned to you by God. That is a calling upon your life. So you tend to think that pastors are called, that there's a pastoral calling But what verse 17 says is that your life is a calling from God. So so this life is your role. He's given you an assignment. He's given you a mission, a ministry, and you're supposed to lead that life. Let him lead that life. That means to embrace it, to lean into it, to enjoy it. You might say, well, pastor, I don't like my assignment. (laughs) I don't like my assignment. Okay. But you're not the Lord, are you? Anyone been called Lord yet today? No, you're not the Lord, are you? It says to which the Lord has assigned him. This is a lordship issue. Here's a question. Does God have the right to give you an assignment? Does God have a right to give you an assignment? It's kind of like a football coach. Assign, assigning players positions on the team. Now, you want to be a running back. I understand that. But he puts you at lineman. Does the coach have the right? Does God? 
have the right to do just that. Who wins the argument over which position the player plays? Is it the player or the coach? Coach wins that, right? Does God have the same right in your life? You see, to submit to Jesus' lordship in your life, that's not extra Christianity. That's not super spiritual Christianity. That is sensible Christianity. That's sane Christianity. You see, a Christian without lordship in Jesus, that's insane. That's irrational. Look, at least in the example of joining a football team, at least in that case, you can say, well, I love football. And I love the position of running back, but I don't like my coach. And I don't like my assignment. (laughs) You understand, when it comes to Christianity, the game's all about Jesus. The field is about Jesus. The goal is Jesus. Jesus is the coach. Jesus is the owner. Jesus is the inventor of the game. It's all Jesus. Jesus is our life. And sadly, what happens is we forget that. And we think, we think that a certain position will bring us life, true life, real life, pure life. That's where life is to be found. And then what happens is that position, whether we have it or not, doesn't matter, that position becomes an idol. It becomes our identity. It becomes our destiny. And then, then I don't like the assignment God's given me. You see? Switching positions will never satisfy you. Until we learn to be content in the lordship of Jesus Christ, in the assignment, in the calling that he's given to me. And I got to let him be my Lord right here, right now. And when that happens, then life, life becomes an opportunity to serve Jesus, to walk with Jesus, to play the position that he's given to me, not for my glory, not for my benefit. No, for him, for his kingdom, for the team, for his glory, for kingdom's benefit. And then the particulars of my position matter so much less. See how that works? This world is an opportunity not an identity, nor a destiny. See, Paul's coming at us hard today. In fact, let's see how it continues. We'll go on in the next couple of verses. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Did it just get a little bit weird? I feel like it just got a little bit weird. Listen, circumcision is talked about all over the Bible, both Old Testament and New Testament. And I got to tell you, I did not receive one seminary class that told me how to explain this to a congregation, right? Like, this is just weird stuff. So I'm, I'm making it up. Here we go. It's um, circumcision is the mark of the covenant God made with the Jews to make them a unique, a distinct people. So literally what it is, it's the removal of the foreskin, the, the flap, the tip off the end of a man's... Again, I didn't have a class on this, all right? Like Johnson, I don't know, right? So that, that's, that's, what, that's what it is. Pray for me, pray for me. Um, 
but here's the thing. It's really, really important to being Jewish, but not to being Christian. And so the early church wrestled with, do you have to become Jewish in order to become Christian? Do you have to be circumcised? And what they landed on by the Holy Spirit's inspired truth, no, no, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Circumcision or uncircumcision, we are all one family in Christ. doesn't matter. But unfortunately, not all Christians ran with that. And so parties, these little parties developed, little factions One of them was the circumcision party. And what they were saying is, no, 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 to be extra spiritual, to be super spiritual, to be really holy, you got to be circumcised. So what was happening is adult men wanting to become Christians were getting circumcised. Again, as adults, gasp, right? And and But the idea was you'll be more holy. If you were with us when we went through the book of Galatians, you'll remember this, right? Uh, But there was another... Another party, another fashion. Do you know what epispasm is? Oh, you're finding out today. <laughs> okay, so, so epispasm is a medical procedure to reverse the physical appearance of circumcision. Put it back. <laughs> Office fans, snip, snap, snip, snap, snip, snap. You have no... Okay, anyway, that's, that's bonus, right? You sh- okay. Here's a diagram. No, just no. <laughs> You people are sick. What do you think? What do you think? There's no diagram for that. Here's a question. Why, why would anyone do that? We got to understand the society back then, okay? Uh, Greeks inter- introduced us to gymnasiums. And in the ancient gymnasium, it was just men, and men worked out nude. Okay, so guys, when you go to the gym, you know how like the old men in the locker room? What's with that? Okay, like they just love walking around nude, right? In the locker room. Okay, it's not just the old guys. It's everybody in the whole gym is nude the whole time. And then the Romans had the the baths. So it was like a large hot tub, public hot tub. Again, guys only. but And no swim trunks. So if you're a Jew and you're trying to assimilate into Greco-Roman society, you're trying to do business and you're embarrassed and you're ridiculed, epispasm. And so that started to come in. Should I keep talking about this or can we move on? (laughs) So the point is, the point is that men were really doing this stuff. And what you're saying in the process is, I don't like how God made me. I don't like the assignment he's given to me. I do not like my calling. My identity, my destiny is in this world. I want a different position on the team. See what's happening? And Paul's going to say, stop it. It doesn't matter. If you look in the past, it doesn't. He says, listen, what matters is keeping the commandments of God. Time out. Wait a minute. I thought... I thought it was all by grace, not by works. I thought it was on the work of Christ on the cross, not my religious works. I thought I wasn't saved by keeping the commandments. Absolutely true for salvation. But the commandments are still good. Okay? We don't keep the commandments to earn his love. Uh Uh-uh. But we keep the commandments because we have his love. He's a good dad. And when a dad tells you not to play in the street, he's not screwing you over. He loves you. He's trying to give life to you. But this is where the ugliness of religion can come in. So remember, they were a dumpster fire. They're like not keeping most of the commandments. They're a mess, right? 
And so while they're a mess, they're saying, man, um, ways that God wants to, me to live the best life. I, I, you know, I'm going to skip all those, but what I'm going to focus on is whether or not I'm circumcised or not. Does that make sense? Let me, let me tease it out this way. If you look in the New Testament, there are qualifications for uh, what men can be elders in a church. And you'll see that in 1 Timothy, uh, you'll see chapter 1, you'll see that in, uh, excuse me, 1 Timothy 3, and it's Titus chapter 1. Those lists are in there. Uh, gives a lot of qualifications. Strangely, what's not on the list? It says nothing about circumcision or not. Okay, not on there. And by the way, if it did, what are we going to check? I would completely delegate that to an associate pastor. I'll tell you that. Like, I'm out. Right? But it's not on the list. And, and brought in it past elders. Like, what if? What if you're a Christian and you're not loving, you're not forgiving, you're not generous, you're not serving, you're not spreading the word of Christ, you're not reading your Bible, you're not praying, oh, but I'm circumcised. Oh, but I got epispat. Like, who cares? Who cares? That's what Paul's saying. So to be clear, let me give you another angle to this. This has unavoidable racial implications. I, I don't want to dishonor the scriptures by failing to address that. What I'm saying is Jews will still be Jews. Gentiles will be Gentiles, but we will be beautifully folded together into one rich family in Christ. Wonderful racial diversity in the Christian family. You don't have to become Jewish or you don't have to become non-Jewish. You just come in. Which means God is not colorblind. You ever hear somebody say that like, well, I'm just colorblind. Well, God's just colorblind. Well, then how do we get color? That's, that's just silly. That's so thin. <clears throat> Think of it in terms of flavor. What if uh, there were only one and only one flavor in the world? Everything tasted like just bacon. I'd vote for bacon, right? <clears throat> now, you think I won. Actually, all of us just lost. Because here's why. If everything tastes like bacon then nothing tastes like bacon. That's sad to say. Right? But because, listen, the only way we know what bacon tastes like is in contrast to other flavors. We don't want one flavor. What we want is this wonderful, rich diversity of flavors unified in one diet. That's what we like. Of course, bacon's part of that, right? That's what we like. And that's the beauty of the body of Christ. It is unity, not uniformity. Unity, not uniformity. Now, of course, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one Holy Spirit. That's uniformity. But then of his followers, of his children, there is wonderful, rich diversity in unity. And Revelation captures that. Pictures this time when every tribe, tongue, and nation, that's all kinds of different people. We look different, we talk different, but we're unified in one family. Worshiping Jesus together. That's the vision. That's the vision. So in the Christian family, we enjoy rich. We don't ignore it. We don't say we're colorblind. No, we enjoy the rich differences that each of us brings. So we're brothers and sisters in Christ, worshiping Jesus together, enjoying those differences, savoring them. So... Your ethnicity is part of how God wonderfully made you. 
And that is part of your assignment. That's part of your calling. And it is gorgeous. And it's also part of your opportunity in this world. But it is greatly overshadowed by your identity in Christ as we're folded into one beautiful family. So you don't, you don't have to switch teams to fit in because we're all already on the same team as brothers and sisters in Christ. See, this world is an opportunity, not an identity, nor a destiny. And we think that life is in some other place, some other stage, some other role, some other marital status, some other job, some other ethnicity. If I could just have that. And Paul's saying, bloom where you're planted. Bloom where you're planted. (laughs) In fact, he's going to take it up a notch. Buckle in for this. Verse 20. He says, each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Okay, that's the overarching principle, right? Just chill, stay where you are, right? Okay, good. Now look what he says. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Okay, this is, a, this is interesting because verse 20 again is the broad principle, stay as you are, but he talks about that in the context of being a bondservant. That's the issue of slavery. What? So what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to kind of hit pause for a second and I'm going to do a big old sidebar on the issue of slavery because it's important. It's talking about bond servants, okay? Now, uh, when we hear this topic, what comes to our mind as modern Americans, we think of the transatlantic slave trade, where Africans were stolen from their villages, kidnapped, and then sold into bondage, into chattel slavery. And we viewed them as less than human. And it was horrible. And it's a huge stain on our national history. And and we've got to talk about it because sometimes it's used as an argument against Christianity. Well, your Bible affirms slavery. And that's that's not really true. So so the bondservant system 2,000 years ago was very different. The the word there translated bondservant is the Greek word doulos. It has a range of meanings. It can mean slave. It can mean bondservant. I'll talk about that in a sec. It can mean servant. So I'm a servant of God. It can mean that, right? So it, it's nuanced, and you've got to kind of discern based on the context. Now, uh, one of the things to know about the bondservant system back in their day, it was not racial at all. The way you'd become a bondservant could be that you were a prisoner of war, or it, it could be that you chose to enter into it. Okay, right away you're going, oh, that sounds different, right? What would happen is you might get in debt, and so you decide in order to pay off your debt, you would serve someone for seven years. You would be a bondservant to them to pay off your debt. Now, uh, you were bound under contract for a set period of time. Again, usually it was seven years. 
And at the end of that time, you were freed. You became a freeman again. Sometimes you had it so good during that time, you would choose to remain on. And so then your master became your patron. You become a part of his household and you'd adopt his name. Okay? Now, right away you're going, well, that sounds different because when you get off the plantation in the South, you ran. Right? You didn't say, hey, I think I'll stay. Like you, you get, we're talking something really different, really different. So doulos, a doulos could earn money, could own property. In fact, they could earn so much, they might be able to purchase their freedom earlier than the set contract. Sometimes they were very highly educated, highly skilled professionals, but living out uh, the doulos for a set period of time. See, it's very, very different than what we think of as slavery. Now, hold on, still ain't good. Like, I'm not saying, what a great thing. I wish I could be a doulos. <laughs> no, I'm not saying that at all. And so one of the questions is, well, why doesn't the Bible just outright condemn it? Well, in some ways, at least our system of slavery certainly does. Like, racism is condemned. We're all full image bearers of full dignity. And racism is out. And, and, and so that's... A, and then there's the issue of man-stealing. Uh, that's Old Testament. Or uh, enslaving. That's New Testament. So you have things like Exodus chapter 21, verse 16. And then 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10. In both cases, the idea of capturing someone, taking them, and selling them into a life of bondage is sin. The Bible's clear. The Bible's clear. And so I wonder if you caught in our passage something interesting. The whole point Paul is making is stay as you are. However you are, just stay like that. But when he comes to a do loss, he makes an exception. Oh, but if you can get out, do. See that? It's, it's, it's striking by its contrast that he says, yeah, if you can get your freedom, get out. Now, did some who claimed to be Christians... Did they use verses to support the chattel slavery system? Yes. Sadly. Horribly. Yes. And it is my great desire to say that they were not true Christians, that they were cultural Christians, that they were religious Christians, but I don't know that. I can't judge their hearts, and i got to admit, Jesus is awesome, but Christians can do horrible things. And so all we can do is repent and seek forgiveness. That's it. But yes, some pro-slavery advocates used verses out of context from the scriptures to endorse, to support the slavery system. But it was not the full picture. In fact, I wonder if you know about the slave Bible. Have you heard of this thing? Here's a picture of one in a museum. The earliest copy of the Slave Bible came out around 1807. And it was developed to do a Christian ministry among enslaved Africans, particularly in the British West Indies, what we call the Caribbean today. And they wanted to allow uh, missionary work, so they needed to have a Bible, but they feared the impact that the whole Bible would have. Because the Bible really promotes freedom and not slavery. Right? So there are passages like Galatians 5, chapter 1. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke 
of slavery. Well, you can't have the slaves reading that one, can you? So, uh, what they did is they came up with a, an edited, a heavily edited version of the Bible to cut out all kinds of passages, but to be used in Christianizing the slaves. And of course, they left in the passages about submission to authority. See what their game there. Now, it's horrible, but what it shows is this. You can pervert Christian religion, but you cannot pervert Jesus in his ultimate word. And so they knew, they knew that the full Bible was dangerous to the institution of slavery, so they had to edit it down. They're admitting something by doing that. And most anti-slavery advocates, abolitionists, were devout Christians with a full Bible. So you see, slavery predated Christianity. Slavery was around before Christianity, but it will not be around after it. And praise God for that. We're not done yet. There's more work to be done. And even healing from what has been done. There's more work. All right. That's a sidebar. An important one, because sometimes that's used as an attack on our faith. And I want you to be more aware of those issues. Now back to the passage. This world is an opportunity, not an identity nor a destiny. So what's Paul saying? Yeah, if you can make your life better, okay, that's fine. Do that, do that. But you got to understand, whether you're a slave or free in this world, that's not your identity and that's not your destiny. So don't let that stuff own you. Even if you're a freed man in this world, if you let that become your identity... You're a slave. That identity will enslave you, regardless of your identity in your status in this world. Regardless. All Christians are free in Christ. And all Christians are slaves of Christ. That's our identity. And that's our destiny. So no matter what your earthly assignment is, You use that, you leverage it as an opportunity to love and serve and bless and and tell people about Jesus. Wherever you are, you do it right there. You let Jesus be your Lord and you bloom where you're planted. Bloom where you're planted. Give you an example. What if you're incarcerated? What if you're in prison? Then you serve Jesus there. And you love him and you love others and you serve others and you bless others and you tell others about Jesus. You serve. Now listen, if you can get free, do it. Not like Shawshank, okay? (laughs) Don't go fugitive. That's not what I'm saying. But if you can gain your freedom, absolutely get free. But so long as you're in prison, you serve Jesus right there. And by the way, it doesn't become your identity. So when you are out and you bear this label and you hate doing job applications because they're going to ask you, right? Listen, in our family of faith right here at Redemption, we are blessed with great redemption stories and some of them have done time and that's not their identity. And we love them. And we're so glad they're a part of our family. All right, so that's what Paul's saying there. Now, let's go on to the, this last block of verses here. Here's what Paul says. He says, this is what I mean, brothers. 
the appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. If you look in verse 29, he's saying, I'm getting down the point. This is what I mean, brothers. Listen up, this is what I mean. This is what I'm saying. This is his so what passage right here. And what's he say? He says, number one, know your identity. Did you catch in there where he says, let those who have wives live as if they had none. Is this a swinger church? (laughs) What the heck is that? How do you live that out? Paul's already been really clear. Listen, when you get married, you're on the hook for the covenant. It's going to take a lot of time and effort, so be careful going there. And so he's saying, yes, of course you live out who you are in your opportunity in marriage. Of course. But it's not your identity. It doesn't define your marriedness nor your singleness. Neither of those define who you are. Yes, you have an earthly assignment. You have an earthly calling. And it takes time and energy. But married or single, don't let it define you. Don't let it own you. It's an opportunity to serve Jesus. It is not your identity. Or to put it another way. If, listen, in your identity, in this, if you will serve, you will serve a master. You will serve a master. And your master will either be Jesus or some worldly identity. And that'll be a harsh master. It will dominate you. If you take an identity in this world, it will dominate you. It will rule over you. It will enslave you. Married or single. This ethnicity or that. Slave or free. Grieving or not. Have lots of possessions or not. Doesn't matter. All those are fine opportunities to serve Jesus. They're terrible identities. And they will rule over you. But great opportunities to serve Christ. You see that? So I want you to own things. But don't let things own you. Have possessions. But don't be possessed. My fear is a lot of you are possessed. I don't mean demon possession. I mean that you have allowed some worldly identity to possess your identity in Christ. Like you are possessed by that. And that's enslavement. You got to know your identity. I want you to know you're a child. of. If you put your faith in Christ, you're a child of the king. You are adopted into his family. You are robed in the righteousness of Jesus. You are promised eternity with him where you will be a fellow heir with him of the kingdom. The kingdom is your identity. We belong to the kingdom. You got to know your identity. Second, you got to know your destiny. Know your destiny. Did you see that Paul said the time has grown very short? Now, like other New Testament writers, Paul viewed all the time from the cross till the second coming of Jesus Christ as the last days. If you ask me, Pastor, do you think we're in the last days? I will say absolutely. We've been here for about 2,000 years. Right? That's the last days. 
But he then goes on to say, he says, for the present form of this world is passing away. That means this world is not our destiny. Okay? Like, so I want you to live in light of eternity, which means Christ could come back at any moment or you could die at any moment. Right, let me ask you. If you knew for sure that you were going to die tomorrow, what would you do today? Now listen, I don't want your Sunday school answer because let's be honest, all of us would be like, I'm going to Cedar Point. I'm going to have my favorite meal. I'm gonna... We'd run towards hedonism, right? Try to pack it all in. Let's be honest, that's what we usually say. So let me tweak the question, all right? If you knew that Jesus is your Lord, that eternity is real, that you are going to stand before him for judgment, that everything done for him will last, that everything else will be burned up in a heap, and then he will reward you based on that for eternity, and you know you're going to die tomorrow, what would you do today? Changes the question, doesn't it? Changes it significantly. You got to know your destiny. You got to know your destiny. So what would it be like for you this week to live out your opportunity in light of your true destiny? And whatever that is, I want you to go do it this week. Don't put it off. Know your destiny. And then embrace your opportunity. So listen, if my... If my identity or, or my destiny, if I allow that to rest in this fallen, broken world, instead of drawing it from Christ, I draw it from this world. If I do that, and God gives me a hard assignment, screw that. I don't want that. I got to get mine. I'm on the hunt. I'm searching for a life in a broken world. And so I've got to shirk. I've got to get rid of that hard assignment that God gave me. But... If my identity is in Christ, if my destiny is eternity with Christ, and he gives me a hard assignment, I'm good. I, I can live that out, right? If you're secure in your destiny with Jesus and your identity in Jesus, you can live out your hard assignment. You can do that. And what that means then is that every assignment, every calling from God has dignity. Why? Because it was given to you by God. So there's dignity to it. It means every job has dignity. If you're a, a pimp or a, a drug dealer, not so much. This doesn't apply to you. You can tune out for a little bit. But otherwise, every vocation, every job becomes a calling from God. It's not just pastors who have a call. Your job is a calling upon your life. Which means in your job, you can bless clients and customers. You can bless your boss. You can bless your employees. You can bless your coworkers. You can help grow a business because God likes building and growing things. That's called creation. And you're being like your creator. You can bless your family. Why? Because you're earning. You're feeding your family clothing. There's dignity in that. And then you can represent the kingdom there. By loving people and, and telling them about Jesus. You see, Christianity is not just for Sunday. It's from Monday through Friday. It's Saturday too. It's all week. It's all week. So, 
Know your identity in Christ. Know your, your, your destiny in eternity. And then live out your op- opportunity to serve Jesus. So I want you to think about that this week. This world is an opportunity, not your identity, nor your destiny. All right, let me pray for that. Father, as, we, uh, as we're in your throne room before you right now, talking to our dad, who loves us so much, Lord, we, we admit we jack this thing up all the time. We look for identity in this world. We look for destiny in this world. And Father God, would you start to shape our hearts so that we would find that in you and only in you. So then we would embrace whatever opportunity you've given to us to live that out in this world, to bring you glory, to play for you, for your team, for your kingdom. Lead us there, Lord, please. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.